and uh, we're in the process of setting up a meeting to look at some different things, so we'll see how that goes. So that's the latest. <laughs> uh, still, I think, to be prayed about uh, whether or not they will be of use or not for God's purposes, uh, we shall see. We finished up the book of Amos last week, and uh, I'll comment again, as I probably have before, that the 12 uh, books of the Minor Prophet are really the chapters of a book. They all go together, nose to tail. They fit together in a story sequence. Uh, Amos talking about the judgment and destruction upon our nation and the rest of Israel, and of course Judah included. And then we come to the book of Obadiah. It's a very interesting book because God has decreed there in Hosea, even Joel and Amos, uh, our destruction, which we are in the throes of right now, increasing day by day and week by week until the complete and utter fall and invasion, which is already in the beginning stages. But he brings uh, Obadiah into it. I'm headed there here uh, with a particular pronouncement because of a certain situation. The book of Obadiah starts out, The Vision of Obadiah. So God had given him a vision of things that were to come and what to write. Because it wasn't extant at that time. He couldn't look around and see, necessarily, what it was that God wanted said. So God gave it to him in a vision. Thus says the eternal God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Eternal, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise you, and let us rise up against her in battle. So God has pronounced destruction upon Israel, his originally chosen people. And here he is going to begin making an indictment against Edom. Now let's get a little bit of background here, first of all. Back to Genesis 25, and we'll identify who Edom is very clearly, so that we know what this is talking about in the end time. Genesis 25, you remember the story of uh, Esau and of Jacob, and how Jacob took hold of Esau's heel. an easy way to identify a story of Israel on the petroglyphs around here. I know of at least three uh, places where a heel grabber is written right there in the rock. Anyway, uh, Esau was the firstborn. Verse 27, the boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Jacob was 
more of a mama's boy. Esau was a man of the field and a a little tougher cut of guy in that sense. And Jacob said, oh, wait a minute. Verse 29, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. So Jacob had been cooking up this soup or this stew. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray you, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. So Esau had a name called Edom. They're tied together right here. Uh, I am faint. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. You want some red soup? Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I've had it. Uh, i got to eat. And what profit shall this birthright do me? If I die right now of starvation, that's not going to help me a whole lot. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So he gave it away very cheaply. He was later to regret that greatly. We go on to chapter 27. And it was time for a blessing from Isaac upon his sons. And you know the story uh, here about how Mama and Jacob conspired to kill an animal and put a fuzzy garment on Jacob because he didn't have much hair on him. Uh, And Esau was a very hairy man and red, an Edomite. Uh, So... They seasoned, I guess I think it was a lamb, or maybe it was a calf, I forget. Uh, seasoned it tastes like venison. And uh, Jacob put on this hairy garment and took it into his father, who was getting blind, didn't see very well, and was having problems, almost uh, dead. So he deceived him, and he says, Your voice sounds like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. <laughs> felt the hairy arm. And uh, so he went ahead and gave Jacob the blessing that was supposed to supposedly would have gone to Esau. Now Esau had sold that birthright. So when we get on Jacob and his mama too much, they were really, really trying to find a way to receive that which had already been squandered by Esau. So it wasn't quite as deceiving and lying as we may have pictured it sometimes, that Jacob simply stole it. Well, no, it was sold to him for a very cheap price. Uh, But then they had to make this work because Isaac probably would not have bought the story that Esau had sold it and might have turned it over. So they decided they would go about it in this way. And yes, they did use deceit, and I won't try to to uh, sugarcoat that. But at the same time, it was something that 
Jacob, at that point, rightfully owned as a purchase. But anyway, uh, uh, Jacob received the blessings, which were incredible blessings. I won't go over those right at the moment. But then Esau came in as if he hadn't sold his birthright, and he wanted the blessing. So he asked Isaac for it. And Isaac trembled and was very upset in verse 33 when he heard that Esau had sold the birthright. And when Esau heard the words of his father, verse 34, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came with subtlety and has taken away your blessing. I can't give you the blessing that I would have because it's been taken away, given away. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob or supplanter? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? So the birthright was gone. The blessing that comes with the birthright was gone. Have you got anything good to say, Dad? (laughs) At this point, you gave it all to Jacob. No wonder it was such an exceeding bitter cry. Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him, and what shall I do now to you, my son? (laughs) I gave it all away. And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. I'm I'm sure he just wept, wailed, and cried bitter tears right there, realizing what had happened. So Isaac sitting there as Esau is crying and trying to figure out, What have I got? What can I do? What can I say? How can I console him and give him a blessing? Because he did love Esau, and he enjoyed him, and he was his favorite son over Jacob. So I'm sure he was in great distress here as well and wanting to produce something. And Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be among the fat things, or the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. So he was going to be in a place where there would be uh, wealth, fatness uh, is, is wealth, and of the dew of heaven from above. So there would be rain, there would be uh, blessing here in that sense. But along with that, by your sword shall you live. So it would be a hard life. He would have some of the fat things of the earth and dwell among them, but he would also have to war for his existence. And you shall serve your brother. Now those had to be very, very bitter words. This this is a blessing, remember? (laughs) 
You'll, you'll dwell where there's wealth, but you'll have to live by the sword and serve your brother. Esau, hearing that, probably was not real overjoyed. And it shall come to pass, when you shall have the dominion, that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. So Jacob would receive all these blessings of the firstborn, and this blessing that had been given here. But someday... Esau would break the yoke of Jacob off his neck. Now that's what we're going to be reading about quite a bit today. Now what was Esau's reaction to his father's blessing? And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. So he didn't take to, what was Isaac going to do? He gave him everything he could. And he told him the way things were going to be. At least he let him know how he would live and how his descendants would be. But he hated him because of this blessing. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Isaac was about to die. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So he found what Isaac said unacceptable, and decided, as soon as your dad, you're dead, dad, uh, Jacob is too. Now that's not the way it worked out, but that was Jacob. I mean Esau's intent of heart, and that intent of heart didn't change. You can go to the book of Hebrews, chapter twelve, and read about the bitterness and anger of Esau, and how even though he sought repentance bitterly and with tears, he couldn't get past it, could not get over it. And the warning is there from Paul to us, don't be as Esau, get over it, forgive, Uh, show mercy to each other, Uh, don't fall in the pit that Esau fell in. Esau had a choice there. He could have said, okay, Dad, I understand. Uh, This was stolen, but I'll forgive my brother, and I'll live the best I can under the conditions that you told me that I'm going to have to live under. He could have taken that direction, but instead he became angry and bitter and would not repent of it. You know, you do have options, and Esau had options. He took the wrong one, and we are warned, don't be that way. Don't follow that option. So from there, let's go to Genesis 36. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Now, it said that where we just read that Esau became Edom, known as Edom. So he makes it very clear that the descendants of Esau are Edomites. And he took him quite a few different wives of the daughters of Canaan and the Hivites and different ones of of the Gentile nations that were around 
despising Israel, despising Jacob, if you will. And notice verse, I'll just point out a few things here. He says in verse 8 again, Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And you'll see Mount Seir in the prophecies sometime, and it's a reference to the Edomites, where they lived in their capital. Now, they are called dukes here, uh, his sons. The Indians called them chiefs. But uh, in 15, these were the dukes of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Teman, Ottoman, Teman, uh, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, and Duke Kenaz. Uh, Korah comes after that. Uh, but notice Kenaz especially because it's part of the story. And all of the sons of Esau are, but there's some names that come through here. You've heard of the Ashkenazi Jews. Here you have Kenaz. And Kenaz, or Kenazi, is a corruption of that. It ends with the word Nazi, interestingly. Uh, the Jews that Hitler uh, persecuted were, uh, many of them, uh, Ashkenazi Jews. You have the Sephardic Jews today and the Ashkenazis is the way they are known. The Sephardic being probably true Jews who held to more scripture, uh, and the Ashkenazis are more just plain old people who take the name of Jew. You know, the Bible says in several places there will be those who say they are Jews and are not. And you have a lot of people living in the land of Israel today who are not Jews. Uh, they call themselves Jews, but they are not truly Jews. Uh, there's a book about the Khazars. I can't remember the exact title of it. I read some years ago. But there were... Living north of where Israel is today, uh, kind of north and east of Turkey, was the empire of the Khazars. And there were a lot of Jews in that area at the time, and they intermarried very heavily with the Khazars. And then the Khazars uh, converted to Judaism. So you had those Gentile peoples who were not Jews who decided to become Jews, not by blood, but by religion and by association. And from those, we have the Ashkenazis uh, with the name of Esau on them. And many of them are the ones that migrated in 1948 and on to the nation of Israel, and they are a strong Edomite mix, not a Jewish mix. I don't think the intermarriage was as great as was the conversion to Judaism. There was some intermarriage, but those were Gentile peoples who claimed to be uh, Jews. Another interesting note down in verse 28, the children of Dishon are these, Utes and Aran. Uh, we have a tribe of Ute Indians here 
in the area. And I do believe that Ammon and Moab and Esau, Edom, have a very strong presence in this area to this day. And the Mormons uh, may also be, uh, many of them, Moabites, Ammonites, look like Israelites, but they were the children of Lot uh, through the perversion that Lot's daughters caused. And where do you find so much of the uh, polygamy among the Mormons? Kind of was carried over, I think. But what tips me off more than that, perhaps, is Isaiah 15 and 16, where it talks about the children of Ammon and the curse that would come upon them. But they are associated with the people of God who come to build the temple in the true holy land. And apparently they have to be cleared out of here. But there is, in southern Utah, a landform, geological, with the Kolob fingers, which are the uh, is where the uh, story of Atlas came from. He had six daughters and a seventh who was kind of shy and not very pretty, and she kind of stayed to the side. So you have six of the Kolob fingers with a seventh kind of hidden behind. And just east of there is a valley crossed by the Laverkin Creek that makes a T, or a cross, a Ta, if you will, in Hebrew. And there is a landform there that is shaped like a U. So you have both the U and the Ta, which form Utah. And the Ute Indians, or the land of Utes, uh, as mentioned here in this context. So that's where this land got its name. The Indians recognize that. Uh, they don't have a problem with it. It's a white man that has problems, not them. That uh, cut is known as Hops Valley. There is a cinder cone there right at the beginning of Ash Valley, or Ash, uh, Hop Valley, uh, fire pit, no. <clears throat> it is very possibly Mount Sinai. Uh, it is a volcano, cinder cone at this point. Uh, but that Hops Valley comes right out of the base of that cinder cone and has a cross on it up high before you get to uh, the Kalab fingers. Kalab uh, represents the hand of God or the right hand of God. So this, this area of Utah is the hand of God. And the U, one U, not just there at, at uh, Hop Valley and Kalab, is up at the site of Jerusalem where you have a U-shaped hill that goes around a cinder cone right there, forms a U or an eye socket, and there you have another you, or another eye socket of the, the all-seeing eye of God before the Masons and others perverted it and used it for a pagan symbol. So in the land of the Utes, you come on down to verse 39, and you have the name of a city called P 
P-A-U, or Pau, and we also have a Paiute reservation nearby here, and Paiutes in this area. So the descendants of Esau apparently are here. Now, I'm, I don't have a genealogical history all the way down the line of these peoples, but the names <clears throat> that you find in the Bible uh, get carried on down through the centuries and the millenniums, uh, even today, among some peoples, as Kenaz or the Kenazis, Ashkenazis. So it's interesting to see that in the line of Esau, considering the things that Esau is going to do. Now let's go to Psalm 137. Before we even get to Obadiah, we're laying some groundwork here. Psalm 137. Now here they're speaking of the captivity that Israel went in with Nebuchadnezzar, but it has a tie-in with Esau. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down, yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows in the mid-Sarah, we sing this one. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us the songs of Zion, sarcastically. Here you are in captivity. You're not such a much. Sing us some songs about Zion and Jerusalem, will you? And they said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land where we're taken captive? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So he said, we're not accepting this uh, captivity in Babylon. We're going to remember Jerusalem. And then they say, remember, O Eternal, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it even to the foundation thereof. So even as they were being taken captive, the Edomites were standing around saying, yes, kill the Israelites, kill the Jews. Now this would be carried down the line a ways, the words of Esau, would it not? I'll kill my brother. And here, these children of Edom, the descendants of Esau, were saying, destroy Jacob. In a word, O daughter of Babylon, who are you to be destroyed? So here, uh, Edom is called a daughter of Babylon. They weren't daughters of Israel. They had joined in with the Babylonian desire to destroy Israel. Happy shall he be that rewards you as you have served us. So it was understood here, as David wrote, that Esau would eventually be destroyed, even though they were going to be used to destroy and help destroy Israel. Now, we'll pick it up in Obadiah here shortly, and it is an end-time prophecy. Those 12 minor prophets 
are like chapters in a book of the end time and how it will play out. And Esau is very prominent there. Happy shall he be that takes and dashes your little ones against the stones. From childhood up, Edom will be destroyed. Now let's go to Psalm 83. This smacks of the conspiracy mentioned in Isaiah 8 or the confederacy that will be coming against our nation and our nations of Israel. Here at the end time, we've gone over many times where God says, don't be afraid of the confederacy or conspiracy. Be afraid of me because he's the only one that can deliver. But here it speaks of a confederacy. Keep not you silence, O God. Hold not your peace, and be not still, O God. Now, why is that being asked, or being pleaded, or pled? For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have uh, lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people. Crafty counsel is a conspiracy or a confederacy. And consulted against your hidden ones. A God is going to cause some to escape and be head, hid in the refuge of Zion. And in one sense, overall, Israel today could be considered God's hidden ones because it seems no one on earth among all the nations including Israel itself, and I don't mean that little Ashkenazi place in the Middle East, but I mean Western Europe and Australia and America and some in South Africa and so on where Israel are, do not recognize whatsoever who they are. They're hidden from the world. They're called lost tribes for a reason. And even Judah is pretty much lost scattered among the nations where the true Jews are, and it's primarily Khazars, or of Khazar lineage, who call themselves Jews today who are in Israel, with very few of true Judah being there. So, they've consulted against the Israel of today, where the Israelites are. Ephraim being the firstborn son, the United States. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. There are people today, which you are very aware of, I think, who are plotting to destroy this nation. And they've already started the destruction. I read an article today that said that there have been about a million people die as a result of the vaccines, uh, but they're hiding the numbers. It's going to get worse. So they are literally trying to cut us off from being a nation as we sit here today, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now, they may or may not, some of them recognize us as Israel. I don't think most of them do, Russians, the Chinese, whoever. But they hate white people. And even within our own nation is a great movement to get rid of all Christians and white males 
and white people for that matter. So if they don't know who we are, they don't like us anyway. (laughs) For they have consulted together with one consent, their confederate against them. Confederacy, conspiracy, same thing. Who does it mention first? The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab. So Edom, Moab, Moab is a cousin of Israel, and the Hagarenes, Gebal, and Ammon. So Ammon and Moab were the descendants of Lot through his daughters. They're high in the conspiracy. Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher is joined with them. The Assyrian, the rod of God's anger, is probably going to lead this whole thing. And they have held, helped the children of Lot. So this is an end-time conspiracy, as Obadiah is clearly going to show. So he says, Do to them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, and to Jabin, the brook of Kaisan, which perished at Endor, and became his dung, make their nobles like Oreb and Zereb, and people who were destroyed, who said, verse 12, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Now Daniel tells us that the beast and false prophet are going to come in to take over Jerusalem after the temple and Jerusalem are built. After the 70 weeks prophecy, when it's built, then they will come in and pollute the temple and take over the things of God and the houses of God. The people who are going to be protected will be headed for Zion, and they will take over the riches, the treasures, the gold, the silver, temple vessels, everything they will take. Daniel's an end-time prophecy if there is one. It's sealed until the end, if you will. And he says the same thing. Oh, my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burns a wood, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So persecute them with your tempest, and make them afraid with your storm. Now, I covered recently... How Isaiah 44 and 45 say the treasures and the hidden things of God are going to be brought forth and cause the kings of the nations to foul their pants. They're going to be so scared. Makes it very clear there. Their loins will be loosened. That's what this psalm is saying. Please do this. And not only that, but... Then when the two witnesses are unleashed on the beast and false prophet, there will be plagues and all kinds of things come against them. And they cannot fight against those whom God sends. Can't be done until the very end. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Eternal. That's the God's object is eventually to get everybody to repent and seek his name. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. Why? That men may know that you, whose name alone is Jehovah, 
are the most high over all the earth. Isaiah 45 says that is going to happen. They're going to become so scared because of it. There are other things he's going to do. And all through Ezekiel, remember, it says that they may know that you are the eternal. So all the destruction that is coming is also aimed at showing them who God is. Because nobody knows who God is anymore. Only a very few people do. So this is all designed to eventually do that. Now let's go to Ezekiel 35. Ezekiel 35. Okay, I know it's back here. Here we go. Moreover, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir. Here, here it's used the way I said it would be. And pro- prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the eternal God, Behold, O Mount Seir, or the Edomites, Behold, I am against you, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you most desolate. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate, and you shall know that I am the eternal. We just read that in Psalm 137. If you don't think Psalms are prophetic, uh, you got another thing coming. Why? Because you have had a perpetual hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity to the time that their iniquity had an end. So the descendants of Esau had lived by the sword. And they will use the sword against Jacob. That is their primary goal to this day, is to destroy all Israel, Jacob. Now this is the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. So that means after Jacob was dead, this is on down the line. This is future generations. Ezekiel's an end time book. Therefore, as I live, says the eternal God, I will prepare you to blood, and blood shall pursue you. Going to have to live by the sword? Defend defend yourself by the sword? Yeah, blood's coming after you. Yours. Since you have not hated blood, even blood shall pursue you. So they have been intent on spilling the blood of Israel all these centuries, and theirs is going to be spilled. Thus will I make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off from it him it uh, that passes out and him that returns. Coming and going uh, is going to stop with Edom. And I will fill his mountains with his slain men, in your hills and in your valleys and in all your rivers shall they fall that are slain with the sword. I will make you perpetual desolations. And your city shall not return, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. says it again. says it in verse 12 as it goes on. I won't read all of it, but it says, And you shall know that I am the Eternal in 12. 
Verse 14, thus says the eternal God, when the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. And you're going to know who God is in the verse 15 again. That's the whole point. Now Jeremiah 49. Another major prophecy. Jeremiah 49. This is just before the destruction of our nation in Jeremiah 50 and 51. This is concerning the Ammonites, who were mentioned in Psalm 83 as the sons of Lot. And then it comes down and mentions verse 7, Edom. So destruction on uh, Ammon and on Edom here. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman, or Ottoman, Edom? <clears throat> is counsel the Ottoman Empire covered part of the area where the Khazars were, as I recall? So Teman and Ottoman and the Khazars are all kind of linked together. Is there no more wisdom in Teman? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Uh, verse 10, I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. Now, these people who are sitting in the fat places of the earth today, who are the descendants of Esau and Edomites, are hard to find. They're hard to discover. They're hard to ferret out and know exactly who they are. We have clues here and there, like the Rothschilds, uh, red badge or red shield, like the red shield or badge of Esau. But it's hard. They, they hide in all the corporations and institutions and governments. They're there, but it's hard to ferret them all out. Some we can, some we do, but they hide. But he says all their secret places are going to be revealed because they're going to be destroyed. Verse 17, oh, well, let's, let's start from 16 or 15. For lo, I will make you small among the heathen and despised among men. Now, have the Ashkenazi Jews been despised of men? Yes, they have. And God said that Judah would uh, suffer persecution throughout their history. They did in Nazi Germany. Uh, they still are looked upon with uh, disdain by most peoples everywhere in the world. Jews. <laughs> it's an epithet almost. Whether it's New York or Miami or wherever you find them, uh, you kind of spit it out. Jews. That's the attitude toward them. Despised. Your terribleness has deceived you, and your, the pride of your heart, O you that dwell in the clefts of the rock, that hold the height of the hill, though you should make your nest as high as the eagle. And they have. They've gone in the mountains are symbolized as governments in the Bible. The high mountains, the higher of governments, the low ones, the, the smaller, like counties and so on. So they have weaved their way into 
the high places in the bigger governments of the world and are very fat financially, the Rothschilds and others. I'll bring you down from there. Verse 17, also Edom shall be a desolation. Everyone that goes by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. You think this isn't going to be known after they help engineer the destruction of this nation and that the two witnesses are not going to single them out as being vessels of destruction? I would think so. And the plagues. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, says the eternal, no man shall abide there, neither shall a son of man dwell in it. <clears throat> Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan against the habitation of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? And who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before me? I think that's very clear. He'll make Zerubbabel the signet at the end of Haggai and give him power over the nations and over the Edomites and Esau. So who is like God? Well, Zerubbabel is a type of Christ. The Bible says he's a righteous man, and he's the closest thing to a type of Christ, I think, as the church is produced. And God is going to make him then the leader in Zion, and they will swell up against Zion, but God will depose them. Remember, he says there in Micah 5 that we'll send out seven, even eight principal men, and send the Assyrian fleeing. And that's this whole confederacy, the Edomite, the Ammonite, the Ishmaelite, the uh, Asherite, or the Assyrian, and so on and so forth. All that confederate themselves to come against Israel are going to be made to turn tail and run from a little bitty bunch of people in Zion. That's what this is saying. Okay, maybe that's enough background. There's plenty more, but uh, for sake of time, let's go on to the book of Obadiah. So now you have firmly in mind who Esau and Edom are, brother of Jacob, intent on destroying Jacob. And it says, and we read, that they will eventually break the yoke of Jacob off their neck. The very words of Isaac the father. And that is in process right now, today. So here we are up to date going into the book of Obadiah. Uh, and the cry in the vision is to rise against Edom because of the hatred and the destruction that she has done in the past and is currently behind in the destruction of this nation. Zionist Jews, Edomites, are very, very much high among the financial people of the earth. They're financial elites. They are in fatness or great wealth. They've lived by the sword and been hated and still are. And they are about to break the yoke of Jacob off their neck. Behold, I have made you small among the heathen. You are greatly despised. Two. 
A lot of Edomites are Jews. They say they are Jews, but they are not. Your pride of your heart has deceived you. Esau never gave up the idea they were the firstborn son and should have had the birthright and all the blessings. You that dwell in the clefts of the rock. We just read about Edom being in the clefts of the rock in the passage there that we just read. Whose habitation is high, that says in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So they are full of pride. They are high in the financial world. And right now today, as we sit here, they are in some back room somewhere plotting the financial destruction of this nation and the world. And we see the fruits of some of that already becoming to, coming to pass. And it will increase in size and volume. Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars... Thence will I bring you down, says the Eternal. We read that in an earlier prophecy today. So then he reasons with them a little bit. He says, you've established yourself high, and you're in a position of great power. Wealth does that. So he says to them, if thieves came to you, if robbers by night, how are you cut off, he says in parentheses, would they not have stolen till they had enough? Here you've got all this wealth, billions and billions, trillions. And if somebody had come to rob you in the night, wouldn't they kind of taken what they carried and gone on and left you some? Robbers come into your house. Let's say you're an average citizen. They take your jewelry and maybe your TV and a couple, three, four things, and they leave the rest. They don't take everything in the house. When are you going to be satisfied? You got trillions. If the grape gatherers came to you, should they not leave some grapes? Would you take every grape off the tree? They're raping and graping America today and taking everything they can from us. All the cars, all the houses, all the life. Ford just announced that they are going to have to have everyone in Ford Motor Company vaccinated by December 6th, I think it was, or they're without a job. This thing is spreading, and it's going to get worse, and a lot of people are going to get be without jobs and without money, and these people are going to foreclose on their houses and on their cars and take everything that Americans have and then take them into slavery slavery if they survive. That's what's happening today and getting worse by the hour. Some of you will be losing your jobs soon. They're going to try to take everything. You know, Esau thought he was supposed to have everything, all the blessings. So when he has a chance to break the yoke, He's going to take everything he can, all the blessings from us. That's his attitude. He was going to take Jacob's life, was he not? These people are bound to determine to take the lives of every American they can. 
They've stated it already, some of their leaders. Some of our leading politicians and the head of Microsoft that everybody uses almost, Bill Gates. On and on it goes. They've stated this. All right. Uh, Verse 6, how are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? Remember we just read how they would hide and it would all be revealed? He repeats the story here in one chapter and includes a lot of the things that come from those other prophecies from Isaac right on down and uh, sort of summarizes them right here. (coughs) And the men of your confederacy... We just read in Psalm 83 of the Confederacy, and the first name on it was Edom. Edomites may not be sending the soldiers. The Russians and Chinese may send most of those and the UN with small armies from other nations. But it's the ones with great wealth behind the scenes that are the ones that are driving this. They're the ones with the greatest hate the ones who hate Israelites the very most. And they are bound and determined to kill us all. So, the men of your confederacy have brought you even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. So he says, you're going to, what you've done to Jacob, and he's talking about what they are currently doing and going to do to us, It's going to come back on them. And they that eat your bread have laid a wound under you. So they've been providing the wealth, the bread, the food, and are right now through Uncle Joe, uh, feeding people who would not otherwise eat or would have to work for their bread or however. They're getting everybody dependent on them to eat their bread. But they'll lay a wound under you. There is none understanding in him. Well, the ones who are being killed and going into captivity are not going to be the ones who lay the wound on the Edomites. We just read it's going to come out of Zion through the signet, the arm, the righteous man of God is who's going to lead the assault against the Edomites. Shall I not in, let's see, they've laid a wound, there's no understanding in you, in him. Shall I not in that day, says the Eternal, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? Rothschilds and all just like them are coming down. They'll be revealed as to who they are and what they are. And your mighty men, O T-man, shall be dismayed. To the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Why? For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. The descendants of Esau are going to reap what they sowed. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, 
and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even you are as one of them. <coughs> Just like the rest of the Gentiles, Esau was there to oversee the destruction of Israel. The, Fed, the Federal Reserve is full of them. The central banks of the earth are full of them. Uh, so are the governments. Uh, Trump's son-in-law is one of them. And on and on it goes. But you shall not have looked on the day of your brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, the true Jews. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. They're going to cheer as they see us destroyed. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. I was going to punish Israel, God is saying, but you, as their brother, should have stood back and not joined in and not cheered. Really, really bad attitude. Yes, you should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. <coughs> the Zionist Jew, Cabal, led by the Rothschilds and others, is standing there waiting to grab our substance as I said, our houses, our cars, everything we've got. Kill them with a shot. Kill them with lack of food, which is coming also. Kill them with manufactured weather. Send in troops to finish them off, and they'll all be ours. I got back my inheritance. I got back all the blessings that Isaac gave to Jacob. This thing isn't dead. It still goes on to this day. Bad blood forever. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. <clears throat> that tells you this is an ancient history right there in the context. This is in the time of the day of the Lord about to be here. Our last destruction, if you will. Our last captivity. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As, as you have done, it shall be done to you. You're going to be treated just like a heathen, Esau, even though you're a son of Jacob. Your reward shall return upon your own head. Well, their reward to Jacob was death and destruction and taking everything they had. So he says, that's coming back on you. You do reap what you sow. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, they're going to take over Jerusalem after the temple and Jerusalem are built and pollute the, pollute the altar, which is when, when we see that army gathering, we're supposed to flee to Zion. That's what this is talking about. They will eat and drink upon God's holy mountain. God will allow that for a time. Now, there's precedent, as I said before, uh, the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant for a while. Very holy to God. Nebuchadnezzar had the temple vessels and maybe the Ark of the Covenant for a while. And God allowed it. He's going to do the same thing here at the end. He's going to allow them to have everything 
that is of God that comes out of the earth to show that God is God. And Satan is going to be so impudent that he's going to take it all over and God is going to allow it. Daniel makes it very clear. Maybe I ought to go back there right, and read that. Let's go back to Daniel uh, 11. I haven't showed this one to a certain individual who may be used to help show those treasures <clears throat> because he's very paranoid already. It says in verse 24 of the beast and the false prophet with the Rothschild and all that confederacy behind it, verse 24, he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. That remind you of what Jacob said right there? I mean, what Isaac said to Jacob? Let's go on down, though. Uh, let's see, where is this? I referred to it. Now I've got to find it. Uh, verse 39, the end of it says, He'll divide the land for gain. And then some pushing. Oh, okay, verse 41. He shall enter also into the glorious land. That's Jerusalem and the promised land. And many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Why? Because they've been uh, part of the confederacy with them. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. The beast, the false prophet, the new world order are taking over the things in the glorious land and also the rest of the treasures of the earth. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas, the former and the hinder seas at the true site of Jerusalem, in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. And we've already read how God will array his people, a very small people with the power of God, against him. But not until he have set himself in the glorious land in God's holy mountain, the hill of Jerusalem. <coughs> See why God's angry? So, as Daniel 11 says here in verse 16 in Obadiah, As you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. So here he shows that. And there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. So they come in. They take over. They rule for a while. They drink on the holy mountain. And the two witnesses go against them. 
but they're still in control and kill the witnesses at the end of three and a half years and think they've won the earth. Then the seventh trump sounds and Christ returns. And shortly thereafter, after the seven last plagues, Christ will come with his bride, the 144,000, take over rulership of the earth and possess the possessions of the Edomite themselves. So they'll have it for a short while, and then Christ will come back and say, no, sorry, the silver and the gold are mine, as he says in Haggai and other places. The whole earth is mine. It's not yours anymore. And Jacob will have all the possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. What does a flame do to stubble? And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Eternal has spoken it. That hatred is going to be rewarded. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau and of the plain of the Philistines. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. So Israelites are going to come in from everywhere from the south and take possession. The captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even to Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Zarephath, shall possess the cities of the south. So Jerusalem will again become the capital and possess the cities. And the Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the eternals. So God wins in the long run. Now, when are these people going to be judged? They'll be killed in the Holocaust, the seven last plagues, and even some by the two witnesses and principal men from the remnant. But the, their judgment eternally, I think, will not come until the great white throne judgment when they're brought back to physical life like everybody else and learn the truth of God and have an opportunity at salvation. So they don't. their ultimate judgment isn't until the great white throne judgment, as is the case with nearly everybody who's ever lived on the earth, the exception being a very few from the Old Testament and those from the early and late New Testament who will make up the 144,000. The rest of the world will have their judgment, either in the great white throne judgment or in the millennium if they survive the Holocaust, which Daniel indicates about 100 million will. And that's all. So, right here, today, we have had, I believe, the judgment on this nation pass over us in August of 2017. And it is now... In force, we are dying from these elite financial people who have concocted a disease and a jab shot to kill us. And they've got other things that they have concocted they have not totally unleashed yet. And part of it will be scarcity of food. It's already showing up in some places and it's going to get worse. So we will die of famine, God says, and pestilence. 
Famine, lack of food, creates disease and pestilence. And then an invasion will kill a third. third will be taken captive and a sword after them, Ezekiel 5. So that's what they are plotting, planning, and have now instituted in this country and in Europe. And it's just going to get tighter and tighter. They've got a yoke of wood on us, if you will, but it's going to become a yoke of iron. Wood's a little more comfortable around your neck than iron is. But they're doing it in increments so that we don't rebel against it before most of us are killed. There is a rebellion coming. There will be a, fa- there will be a civil war. Jeremiah makes that very, very clear with even rulers killing each other through violence in the land. So that's not very far down the road. So in this book, right after our judgment is given in Amos, God says, I know what you're going to do to Israel. You're going to destroy them, and then I will destroy you. So this book fits in perfectly with Hosea, Joel, and Amos as the next thing that's coming And Obadiah is being enacted with Esau destroying Jacob this very day until it is completed. And that isn't very far off. So we'll go from Obadiah elsewhere. And uh, that'll be it for today.